Right, welcome back, everybody. This is the second of our podcasts about HRT. Uh, In the first, episode 52, if you'd like to flick back and give it a quick listen, we explored the impact of menopause in society, the increased awareness in the public, and the importance of starting those conversations with patients. Menopause, of course, affects half of us at some point. It's in the news, it's on social media, it's on people's minds, and so it's important that we get it right, understand the patient's journeys, and give the best treatment possible. There are, of course, loads of treatments and approaches, but it can be sometimes a really complex world. So to help unravel and wrap all things menopause, it gives me great delight to welcome Dr. Sam Dobson to the podcast. Sam's a consultant gynaecologist, a fertility subspecialist, a menopause specialist, and a fellow Nottingham alumni. Welcome, Sam. Hi, Jay. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great great for you to join us. So I suppose to start off with, with this increased awareness of HRT, we're often actually directly asked for a lot of medications, specific treatments. Um, we asked about bioidentical hormones, which I think we're going to talk about at uh, another podcast. Um, but the other one is testosterone, uh, which I didn't really associate with HRT. So, Sam, uh, can you try and demystify this uh, for us? Let's get back to basics. So, what is testosterone in this context? What, what, why are we thinking testosterone? Um, so, testosterone is a hormone that's found in men and women. Um, it's it, for the for the female. It's made by the ovaries, um, as along with estrogen and, and progesterone in, in the reproductive life. Um, as the lady goes through the menopause and the the ovarian reserve diminishes, um, and and there are no eggs left, um, the testosterone production is is ceases as well. Um, however, women do make testosterone. Uh, in the adrenal glands as well. So in the menopause, there is a small amount of weaker testosterone called DHEA produced by the adrenals. Um, So this hormone though specifically um, is really uh, responsible for libido and and, Mm. sex drive. So um, in in women, it's in the menopause, it's often coined as hyperactive sexual desire disorder, Mm. um, which just means low libido. So it's sort of, yeah, people think it's responsible for that. Yeah, sure. And so it sounds like this the testosterone is largely linked to that. That's linked to sex, linked to libido, and all that sort of thing. So, what sort of symptoms might they present with? What what might they say to us? So, along with the the, the routine sort of menopause symptoms like hot flushes, insomnia, anxiety, um, they may describe, or you may have to prompt them, but they may describe having a low libido, essentially mm. no, no sex drive, um, mm. you know, no interest in, in their partner anymore. Um, that's, that's it really. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So it's, it's, it's more sort of single thought in that respect. And, um, but I think that one of the things that we're starting to understand a lot more is that, you know, sex is, is, a multifactorial thing. It's not just about libido. Um, and it sounds like there'll be other things that are related to menopause that can impact on that. There's estrogen and vaginal dryness. How do you go about approaching this problem in the con- in a consultation? Absolutely. So I'd, I'd, I'd take a more sort of global approach to libido and I'd, I'd, I'd think about, you know, simple things like, do they feel, you know, do they feel sexy? So you know, having hot flushes, not sleeping, you know, that, that can't help. So if you can improve that with estrogen, then they may then feel sexy and have a libido. Um, or they they may struggle with vaginal soreness, dryness. It may really hurt to have sex. Mm. Um, they may bleed when they have sex, you know, is, is there a, or they may even have other conditions like lichen sclerosis, you know, which makes sex painful. So is that a reason rather than 
just a low testosterone um and, and you know do they fancy their partner you know equally um so don't rule out other reasons and i would take definitely take a biopsychosocial approach to mm. libido um so yeah, yeah yeah well a wise person told me that uh you have sex with your head rather than with your genitals so i think addressing all of those other things and making sure that people are in the in the mood to have sex and kind of exploring that in the biopsychosocial way is quite important to get down to exactly the crux of the problem yeah yeah, yeah. definitely i think um yeah uh, you want to feel sexy and want to have sex gentles help though yeah well yeah absolutely okay <laughs> yeah quite important for that it it is a tricky thing, you know. And as we're talking about it, I think the natural some of the natural Britishness comes through. It's difficult to talk about sex, and mm-hmm. I think patients are getting more upfront about it, uh, especially with things that are going on in the social media and the media and asking people about it. Um, but it can be it can be quite hard to bring that up in a consultation. I think about a normal general practice. Uh, what we, you know, se- sexual history. We're thinking about STIs. We're thinking about number of sexual partners. But how do you go about approaching that? you know, actually the, the physicality of having sex. I, I find myself tripping over this, you know, even as I ask you. Yeah. Um, how, how do you bring that up? No, absolutely. What can you give us? I think it is British, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> difficult to look you in the eyes and <laughs> talk about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think not many patients will bring it up. Um, certainly not initially. Yeah. I think the key things are you have to build a good rapport with the patient. Um and they obviously have to trust you. Um, and you do normally start with just the general history taking and, and you know, symptoms, general menopause symptoms. And then if they haven't mentioned it, then at the end I would, you know, maybe prompt them and say, you know, I'd start maybe with vaginal symptoms, menopause symptoms, you know, are you struggling with any, any dryness, soreness? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that might open it up. Um, and then you might say, you know, are you, are you sexually active? Um, they may say no. Um, but actually then to follow that up with, do you want to be sexually active? Is it is that your choice mm. or, or are you just, are you sore? Does it hurt? Um, you know, do you not have a libido? You know, these sort of questions. And, mm. and most women would be more than happy to talk about it. And I think are actually probably quite grateful that someone's mm. brought it up. Because, um, you know, it, whilst some women, I'm sure, just don't want to have sex and that's absolutely, you know, that's fine. It does have an impact on relationships for people yeah, that do. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. completely understand that. Um, I think it's all part of formulating that plan and personalising the care, personalising HRT, personalising menopause treatment to the patient. Um, and and it, I think there's a really nice way to sort of bring that up and, and asking people where, what what their aspirations are. Um, you've also mentioned some about the the vaginal symptoms, and I understand that's more to do with oestrogen. I suppose if we are starting at a place, should we be starting with oestrogen? Yeah, so I, I I think it's sensible to start with oestrogen. I think, um, you know, oestrogen HRT is licensed. We know a bit more about its safety profile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to counsel them on the risks. Um, and and if, if it's, you know, if you improve hot flushes, sleep, anxiety, can improve vaginal symptoms, they may be absolutely fine, have a libido, and, and mm-hmm. that's, that's it. They don't need testosterone. So, yes, I would start looking at oestrogen um, to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, then if you've sort of treated the, the systemic menopause symptoms and, and vaginal symptoms, and if they're still, you know, complaining of lack of libido, mm-hmm. I would then consider testosterone at that sure. point. Yeah. Yeah. Can estrogen itself as an HR, as, as HRT help with libido? 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for those for those reasons, it, it, yeah. if you if you're not sweaty, sleeping better, mm-hmm. feel your skin's nicer, um, less anxious, more comfortable, um, then yeah, yeah, I think that it, itself should can can be enough. Yeah. I mean, a question that sometimes comes up in conversation with other GPs is if a patient is receiving patch HRT or pill HRT, but are still having those sort of urogenital, mm-hmm. urogenital atrophy or or vaginal symptoms, mm-hmm. is there anything else that we can do to treat that and make it a bit more comfortable? Yeah, so it's important to remember that about a quarter of women on systemic HRT with the urogenital symptoms, so um, dryness, soreness, mm-hmm. um, will not have an improvement in their uh, vaginal symptoms with systemic HRT. So All right. they do need to an additional vaginal um, sort of HRT, such as uh, Vagifem or, or Eastern cream, yeah, mm. and and that's safe to add in to any sure. any systemic regime because so little of it's absorbed, it doesn't really impact the, the endometrium and the risk. Um, yeah. yeah, and you've mentioned before about kind of getting started with that cream and kind of managing their expectations. I think that'd be really helpful for our listeners. Yep. Yeah, so. Um, so the key thing for vaginal estrogen is to start sort of intensively. So to use it every day for two weeks, um, to sort of, you know, re-estrogenize the cells, um, that the vaginal cells will become stretchier, thicker, mm-hmm. um, they'll produce more sort of fluids and mucus, uh, so lubrication, um, lubricant. Um, and then once you've done that initial two week sort of, um, intensive, treatment drop it down to maintenance once or twice a week or twice a week um which you could continue for six months to a year yeah and, and if it's of a benefit then carry it on longer yeah excellent brilliant so we sort of addressed the the general hrt sort of questions there we've had a talk to them about sort of the psychology and the light behind this as well so we're, we're on to the we're on to testosterone which is obviously what today's mostly about our conversation how do we get started so in my consultations the I would start by exploring the symptoms um, and, you know, conventional HRT. But if we've got to a point where they've tried systemic HRT um, uh, and they're still struggling with libido, then I would say, well, let's consider testosterone. First of all, I would discuss the risks. So um, I think the key things to counsel the patient about is it is unlicensed. Mm. Um in the, certainly in the UK, it has, there's not a huge amount of long-term safety data. Um, and, uh, and there can be side effects, which mm. which can be um, sort of reversible and irreversible. So, mm. um, side effect wise, I would explain. You know, if they got any, then to stop treatment. So, uh, sort of mild um, common ones are sort of black hair growth, acne, um, weight gain, perhaps. Um, and then you've got the sort of more serious, irreversible, you know, longer term irreversible side effects such as alopecia, deepening of the voice, um, clitoral enlargement. Mm. Um, now these risks are low. The side effects are uncommon, um, and they're especially uncommon if you can maintain a, the testosterone in the female range. So I can talk mm. about that as well. Um, so once you've done that, and you know, if, if you've not put them off, um, <laughs> then you could um, then I would take a baseline testosterone. Right. level so just a total testosterone um that's essentially to make sure that the testosterone level isn't completely normal because if right. it is is that really why they've got no libido and if you give them more testosterone you're then going to push them into the male range with the side effects so yeah. just check it's sort of is low yeah. provided testosterone is low commence um a, a treatment, treatment of some form sure. yeah so do you think that it's <clears throat> 
pre-treatment level is is quite essential with before treating people uh some people some clinicians don't do it um i think that the bms guidance is to do it okay so um, and i would be bms it, guidance so, on yeah, this too yeah, yeah. excellent is that guidance available for us as as gps too yeah the, B- yeah. the bms website's got a, a clinician's toolkit with some really good pdfs that you can download and, and give to patients and, and read Brilliant. That's really great to hear. I mean, and we're about to talk about the actual treatments and about what one might prescribe. Is this something that we're doing in primary care or is this still kind of in the realms of the, the menopause specialist? At the moment, it's a lot of it's coming through to menopause clinic. Um, but I think there is a move towards, you know, as with conventional HRT, GPs becoming more confident. Mm. Um, in my region, we have sort of been involved in the production of a, a guideline for GPs wanting to start testosterone. So I think there will be certainly a shared care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think with time, you know. Yeah, sure. And I think this, it always comes with a little bit of anxiety when we are doing things in unlicensed mm. uh, with medications. But evidently, the more we do it, the more data we have, and the more patients that we can help, that could be really useful. So moving on to the actual prescription, um, how how are we actually giving a patient testosterone? How are they receiving that? So uh, there are different formulations, different products. Uh, it all really depends on what you can get hold of. Um, so, uh, you know, you've got things like um, test, Testogel, um, which is uh, in a sachet. Um, the sachets are sort of 40 or 50 milligram sachets. You want to aim about five milligrams a day. So you give it, you ask them to take an eighth of a sachet each okay. day. So the, most of the preparations are for men. Mm. Which is why you have to do these sort of taking a tenth and an eighth of a sachet. It's it's difficult. It's not straightforward, but you could give them a syringe to help them if they draw sort of an eighth of the sachet up into a one mil mm. syringe or something. And then you just apply it to the skin, uh, okay. clean, dry skin. Um, so just sort of rub it in. Rub it in, yeah. yeah. Moving, sort of um, changing the area that you rub it in every day yeah. to avoid sort of hair growth um, in that area. Um, they should keep it uncovered for sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, let it dry in, then they can get dressed once it's dry and avoid um, contact with sort of other members of the family mm. for that time. And then they can swim and shower yeah. and a couple of hours later. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's that option. Then you've got things like Testim, which is a 1% gel. So it's a, it's a tenth of a tube um, a day. You've got Tostran, which is a 2%, can, which is in a canister. It's a 2% solution so it's one pump on alternate days because mm. that's 10 milligrams so you don't you sort of do that every other day in australia you've got androfem cream which is a one percent cream you apply half a mil that's actually um, licensed I that's think, licensed there. in australia i think you can get it in the uk but i think it's possibly on private prescription mm. um and then you've got and then you've got a testosterone implants which which aren't on the nhs either but they, they you put the um put them under the skin and mm. um commonly the lower abdomen or buttock and they last about six months mm. um that's a hundred milligram pellet um so yeah you, so that's the, the options um that's <laughs> how you apply it um be very careful you know don't give it to anyone with hormone sensitive breast cancers mm. or um Avoided pregnant women, obviously, <laughs> um, liver disease. And if you've got athletes um, or, you know, anybody competitive, just yeah. warn them that, you know, it might show up on a drugs test yeah. and things. And if, if they do want it, um, you just have to be very careful to keep it in the female range. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So should we be monitoring patients after we've, yeah. well, after we're giving that? How, how sort of frequently should we do, we be doing that? So the guidance is generally at six weeks, but realistically, um, 
you know, two months, three months, just so once they're sort of on the regular treatment, just check their levels again. And you, all you're looking to see is that the testosterone levels are A, higher than they were, <laughs> and B, um, are still in the, the range of it for a female. And that's how you avoid side effects. If they do get side effects, they should obviously stop the treatment. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good to know. Um, so obviously we've got lots of these treatments here. I think one of the main things that we do in general practice is often explain to people about the side effects, which we've mentioned. Um, are there any any real contraindications? You mentioned breast cancer. Any other contraindications or any serious things that, uh, that a patient might be worried about? Uh, evidently, we're getting much better at that with normal HRT or uh, yeah, estrogen-based I th- HRT. Yeah, um, I think... You know, we, we do lack that data now, really, of what the, the there's there's no evidence of there's I mean there's no evidence of cardiovascular benefit and there's no evidence of cardiovascular risk either. <laughs> so we're kind of we don't know. Um, I think that data will will come out. Mm. Um, but I think the key thing is because we don't know if they are not having a benefit from the treatment, don't don't use the treatment. So if at six months their libido is still rubbish, mm. just stop the treatment. You know, um, I think. And, and good counselling as well. Mm, yeah, that's very important. I think finally, the other word, again, we're asked often about these medications. Uh, the word DHEA comes up in terms of medication. Um, you, I think you mentioned at the very beginning of the talk here about uh, about the adrenal glands, but would a patient be taking DHEA? They sometimes are. They may not tell you. Okay. Um, they may get it um, elsewhere. Um it's in a woman with normal adrenal function, there's not really any evidence it will help her right. libido. Um, having said that, some women would want to try it, and you know, fair enough. Um, but there, there isn't really any evidence for, for DHEA. Um, okay. It was used in fertility a, little, a few years ago, um, but then it was proven not to make any difference either. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's particularly important. And we're going to explore that in quite a lot more detail in our next talk about this kind of personalized care plans for patients for HRT and menopause and about what they might hear elsewhere, about what they might already be taking, about their kind of ideas and concerns and expectations and all that good stuff as well. Um, So I think I'm really looking forward to exploring that a little bit further with you. Um, I suppose now as we sort of approach the end, if you were to give advice to GPs and people working in primary care about this particular area, libido, sex, testosterone, we've covered an awful lot today what would it be is there any is there any kind of final words you can leave us with um if a patient comes specifically you know with you know complaining uh, that that they're struggling with libido i think take a a global approach to it really and and assess sort of all the different factors that you know down to you know the really basic things like foreplay um (laughs) you know and, and sort of ascertain how you might be able to help. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to start with vaginal estrogen. It, it is essentially very safe. Um, and, and, and then, you know, consider systemic estrogen um, and other factors. And then you know, if that hasn't worked, then consider testosterone. If you're not comf- comfortable, right, you know, right to the hospital, right to the menopause clinic for advice or, or refer them in. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, I've certainly learned loads today. And I think that our listeners are going to find it really useful finding out more about that because we were asked about lots of things. And in this very rapidly moving world, it's really good to know about about this medication. So I really look forward to our next podcast and, and lots more. I think there's lots of things that we could cover. Um, so thank you very much for your time this evening. Um, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we'll catch up again really soon. 